okay um maybe i got too excited there because i turned away and looked in the garden <laughs> <laughs> that's maybe where you lost you gotta look where your in inspiration is right <laughs> yes okay i'll turn my chair so i don't lose you again Welcome to the National Association for Holistic Aromatherapy podcast. I'm your host, Savannah Rose. This week, we have on Sharon Falsetto. Sharon is a UK certified aromatherapist, writer, editor, photographer, gardener, and teacher. She's been living in the United States since 2006 and is the founder of Sedona Aromatics, The Garden School. Sharon offers a home study aromatherapy education program, The Linguistics of Aromatics, approved by NAHA. Sharon is both a published author and editor in, the aroma, in aromatherapy. She is also an aromatherapy consultant, a custom blend formulator, and an herbal studies student. She works from her garden studio in Sedona, Arizona, where she offers small workshops and retreats on site in her botanical workroom and classroom, surrounded by her one-anchor homestead and aromatic gardens. Sharon is the author of Authentic Aromatherapy, the current chief editor of the Naha Aromatherapy Journal, thank you, and the Naha Director Coordinator, as well as the Naha Regional Director for Arizona. So, Sharon, how do you find the time? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I mean, I don't do all those things every day. I do, <laughs> you know, a, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and it, they all kind of gel together. So, you know, it, it's a good variety of things um, there. And when you, I guess when you find your passion at that point, it all just becomes fun as opposed to work, yes. right? It all yeah. And she's, she's mother to a almost two-year-old puppy named Harry. So she does yeah. stay quite busy. Yes, a puppy mama. Yeah, he's he definitely keeps me busy. And he loves the garden as well. He, he really enjoys it. He's one of those dogs that gets his nose right into it if you're planting a plant and uh yeah he's he's been brought up on a aroma since he was eight weeks old so he's uh got a good nose for it as well <laughs> <laughs> dude does you ever turn around and he's like taking a bite out of a, a plant <laughs> yeah he yeah you have to watch him because yeah he's more helpful in, in digging up than planting <laughs> which is not conducive to um gardening obviously um but uh, yeah, sometimes he likes to sniff. And um, if you follow me on Instagram, um, you'll notice there's quite a few um, photos with Harry's little nose in on the flowers because as I go to photograph something, there's his little nose. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sharon. Well, I guess we'll start here. Uh, what brought you into aromatherapy? I know you have a bunch of other things listed, but for the aromatherapy podcast, yeah. I thought I'd start here. Well, into aromatherapy, um, it all goes back to about um, 2004 when I, I lost my first husband suddenly when I was living in England. And I turned to aromatherapy and aromatherapy massage to help me through that um, grieving process. And 
I decided it was something I wanted to learn more about and help others with. And yeah, that started the entire ball rolling. I um, enrolled with um, Penny Price Aromatherapy in England. Um, she's pretty well known, um, aromatherapy provider and teacher. And I completed her clinical diploma. And um, here we are about 15, 15 years later. Um, that's kind of what brought me into this. And it's been, you know, it came from aromatherapy massage and I've gone through products and, and teaching and, you know, all sorts of different things now with it, um, which has led me to the aromatic garden in a roundabout way. So 15 years later, and you end up in Sedona, Arizona from England. Um, mm -hmm. Did you have any other stops in between? No, I traveled a lot with my um, first husband um, when he was alive. We, we did a lot of traveling. So I guess coming on vacation to Sedona by myself wasn't a really big deal to me at the time. Um, and yeah, I ended up here in Sedona. Um, personal situation brought me here and here I am I've been living in Sedona now since 2006 so uh, yeah I think I've lived here actually longer than anywhere I've lived in England since I left home <laughs> wow I and for any listeners who have never been to Sedona I mean it is just it is one of those places I traveled to in my childhood that's always stuck with me as absolutely wow. beautiful and I can imagine that anybody would want to end up there on accident, yeah. on purpose. It is just like beautiful place in Arizona that just surrounded by bright sun and desert, yeah. but also lots of just beauty and color and um, highly recommend yeah. anybody going. And if you do, maybe you can stop by and see Sharon yeah. in her garden and a workshop. So yeah. wrap up a few things into your trip. Yeah, I live um, just, it's really ideal where I live. Um, I can still see the red rocks um, out the window from here. Um, but I'm actually five minutes kind of outside of what I call main tourist Sedona because everybody wants to visit these days. So it gets a, gets a lot of traffic, but I'm kind of tucked away in a, a little corner. Um, just oh, out, that does sound like a dream. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so yeah, you if you need to um if you want to come and visit me, um well you have you'll have to let me know because I need to give you the secret directions. <laughs> um so and I guess being in that part of Arizona is probably really helpful for your garden and having uh I I guess we can start getting into it because I mean, springtime is here. So I'm actually really excited to start and talk to you yeah. about what you're doing in your garden since I'm still hustling together to get ideas for what I'm going to do in this house. We just bought with this yard. We just inherited oh, yeah. and I I'm looking forward to talking to you and seeing kind of what you've got going on in springtime in your garden. Um, that sounds exciting. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a challenge. I, I won't say it's easy um, trying to garden in Arizona um, and everywhere is different. So you'll probably have your own challenges. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the um, garden zones. Um, I'm in what they call um, zone 8A. So you kind of have to look um, for plants that will kind of survive in your area. If you're just dealing with annuals like um, sunflowers, um, that's not an issue because they're going to die back anyway. Um, but it's things like perennials that um, have to, you kind of have to look at the garden zone because they may not overwinter in your area depending on how 
severe uh, winter you get. Um, the other thing is the soil. We we have really, for want of a better word, yucky soil. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's all clay and red. And um, so we're, I have to add amendments. I used raised garden boxes. That's how I get around it. And lots of pots yeah. and as well, um, because then you can put the good soil in and what the plants need. Um, at this time of the year, I mean, when I talk about an aromatic garden, it's not necessarily all the um, plants we're familiar with, with oils, although there is a lot of them, but an aromatic garden helps in other ways. Um, you know, everybody loves gardens. They're beautiful, they're colorful, they're therapeutic in their own, own way. I mean, that's the reason you see them around hospitals and hospices as well, um, because they promote that healing power. Um, so plants, like at this time of year that I have, I have a lot of narcissus. Um, I don't know if you've smelt the aroma of a true narcissus. I'm not talking like the really deep yellow ones that you tend to find in the stores, the, the more um, kind of paler colored ones. And they've got this beautiful, really kind of vanilla, um, honeysuckle kind of aroma to it. And that's something that you can't really capture in a bottle. Um, it, it's just something you have to enjoy in the garden but there is other plants like um, sweet william as well and dianthus um, which is um, carnations and they've they've got kind of like a really clove scent um, spicy scent um, as well some of these you you'll find as absolutes which are used in um, perfumery um, but not so much in true aromatics and they're very expensive, um, like um, rose, because it's so difficult to extract from them. So if you want to start it out, well, if you're going to start out with a spring garden, you really want to be planting um, your bulbs and stuff in the fall. So <laughs> maybe you need to plan for next year. I think about maybe it. I'm a little too yeah. late. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> think about in the fall. That's usually when you see them for sale and stuff, when you put them in the fall and they kind of overwinter and now at this time of year you've got them all popping up all over the place um but this is a time you can get your um seeds in if you're gonna sow seeds or you know if you're not confident enough the seeds maybe it's the little seedlings especially for your herbs anybody that's um starting out herbs or herbs as we say in the u.s um, <laughs> a really good um to start out with because they're really easy to grow and you don't need a lot of space you can you just put them on the kitchen window ledge so things like basil um margarine um mint all the mint tends to get a little wild if you if you don't kind of contain it um what else is the sage you know all the regular kind of garden oregano as well the garden herbs that you maybe you familiar with in um, cooking dishes as well and we use them in aromatherapy as well so they're probably the easiest ones to start out with I know I jumped about a bit over all over the place there <laughs> oh no that's awesome um so I and I'm following your train of thought from from flowers and herbs so you have things that you talk about that are not essential oils but or don't end up being essential oils but are important to the aromatherapy garden um what what kind of things what other kind of things do you have in your your garden that you know you might not see about 
in um, essential oils per se, but that are important to you in your garden? Um, well, I don't just get, I mean, I call it aromatic garden, but um, I also love plants for their color. I mean, things like cosmos, um, really easy to grow annual. They're not aromatic, but there's a plant you can use. And this is something I, I'm learning about is it's like a, um, you could even tincture it or make a flower essence out of it. Um, and I'm not familiar with that yet, but that's that's where my study is coming in. Yeah. Um, so all those kind of plants can be used in different formats, not necessarily just essential oils or hydrosols. Um, and a lot of plants can be infused in an oil, you know, taking a base vegetable carrier oil and infusing it um, and putting it in there. Um, even plants like um, rosemary and peppermint, you can infuse those into a carrier oil. So even if you haven't got a still or a setup and, you know, to make essential oils is quite a task and you only get a little smaller amount out. There's other things you can make. You can infuse rosemary and peppermint carrier oils, vegetable oils, like your base oil of, of sunflower, for example. Um, because making essential oils at home can be quite a task. Um, you need a still, and you're only going to get a little bit out of. Um, many people kind of make hydrosols, which is um, easier to make with the waters from the garden. But again, you, you've got to, um, you know, you've got to have a still to do that or um, make a still to do that. So if you just wanted to start out off simple, you can basically put, some of the plants in um, a carrier oil and infuse them or start off with a, a tincture or um, a flower essence. Um, and the, the, as I say, those are the ones I'm learning about how to do. So, um, but they are pretty easy to do. Oh, um, that is compared to those infusions sound really, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty new to all of this in general. So that's why I actually think these podcasts are great for me because I have a one-on-one <laughs> -on -one learning experience. But so with an yeah. infusion, do you have, what are the benefits of an infusion? Well, it infuses into that oil um, some of the therapeutics um, benefits of rosemary. Um, some carrier oils are infused um, rather than cold pressed. So anyway, so for example, like um, calendula is infused. So you basically just put the, the flowers into the um oil and it, it pulls out for want of a better word um the the therapeutic properties um and the same with st john's wort that's another one um you you have to make sure that there's no moisture though when you put them in because if you put them in wet you're going to end up with um mold in your oil so they have to be so dried we're drying out, out the herbs first and yes. going through that so yeah. is this like a topical is it a topical like salve or um well, you may basically you can, could put it into a salve. Um, it's basically a f are you familiar with like your jojoba oil and, and sunflower yeah. oil? Uh -huh. Yeah, it's basically that, but it's got the therapeutic properties of that plant pulled in. It's not the same as an essential oil, um, and mm -hmm. it's not the same as the hydrosol from it. But it's going to pull some of the therapeutic benefits um, out of the of, mm. of the plant. And yes, you can use that um, oil like you would um, use like 
your Hobart oil, you're going to use it on, on its own or... Um, as a carrier can, oil, right? Yes, as a carrier oil. I'll oh, put cool. it in, into a salve. You could put it into a salve or a lotion or a cream, um, depending on, on what you want to achieve and what you're going to make. So, But I, I think it's... Um, it's one of the things I have in one of my workshops. Um, we make an infused oil. It, well, we start off the basics of making it because you have to let it stand in the sun for, uh, you know, several weeks. Um, mm -hmm. So it, you kind of have to leave it once you've put it in there and just keep checking on it and everything um, before you can use it. And then you'd basically strain off the the plant material from the oil and you discard the plant material and you use the use the aisle so it's kind of one way of using um plants from your garden with that that's awesome i do have some rosemary that i've i've managed to keep alive for quite some time now so <laughs> her and i are going strong together so actually that sounds like a really fun way to incorporate it i've been using pieces here and there in my cooking but it doesn't always yes. go on every pizza i make for myself or <laughs> not in all my dishes need rosemary but it, it's been really nice to have that's a, that's just a really nice way i can kind of use some of this um yeah more often. and you don't need a lot yeah you don't need a big bush like you maybe would need a little bit more to make a hydrosol and essential oil you you really just kind of have to um push it in whatever size jar you want to use and it, it's up to you how big or small you want i want to make it um and do you have yeah. like a ratio of how much how much dried plant product versus Base. how much oil um no basically um just fill your jar up with the um carrier oil and then cut up your rosemary and make sure you've got kind of no moisture on there and, and dry it off. Here, um, when I did it in my workshop, it was not really an issue because it was so dry. Um, <laughs> but if you live in a wetter area, you might, you might want to let it dry off first. Um, and when I say dry, um, you know, it can, some plants can retain moisture, so it might be best to kind of leave it overnight. Um, and just pack it in as much as you can get in there um, so that it soaks up as much as it can. And when you leave it to stand in the in the sun or in the warmth, um, you may have to keep putting more in um, and, you know, um, changing it out up a little bit more in. Um, just basically get as much in there as you can. That's how I do it anyway. <laughs> okay. That's good to know. Well, off that topic, you know, you, you make infusions and um, talked about tinctures. Do you actually make your own essential oils ever? Do you have a, a still that you use for yourself? I have a still. I do not have made essential oils. Um, I'm In my workshops, I do kind of hydrosols um, because I was trained. I did a workshop with Annie Harmon um, up in Washington State there and she she's the expert in the hydrosols there and um, I did a three-day workshop with her and learned how to um, distill hydrosols I did not go with the intent of oh, I'm going to come home and get my still I wanted to go home I wanted to go with the intent of seeing how the process worked as an aromatherapist you know we we have our bottles of oils and hydrosols and um, you know you don't always take you know appreciate what goes into 
got going to that bottle. But of course, I got hooked. I <laughs> came home and I had to buy a still. And so now I'm experimenting with that. It, it is possible to pull a little bit of essential oil off in the distillation, but it's not a lot um, unless you're going to specifically distill for an essential oil. Um, it's more the hydrosols I'm experimenting um, with and making those just for my own personal use. And, you know, you, you learn more about the plants and you learn more about the process. And it, it's basically um, lifelong learning, you know, process. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, have you had times where you like completely failed a batch or done something wrong and <laughs> you laugh? Yeah, I'm still pretty, I'm still pretty new to it. When I do my workshops, I tell people, you know, this is, I'm not teaching you how to distill. If you want to know the, the, like the logistics on how to distill and go and learn with someone like Annie, because, you know, she's the expert. I'm basically trying to introduce people to, wow, this is a still and this is what, you know, the process of it and just you know learning together of, of the process I mean that that's a lot of people do not have that opportunity um, unless you've got the stills so just being able to do that together and yes mistakes are made but I mean that's how that's how you learn yeah um you know along the way and each one you improve with each one and you continually learn because it you know it when you harvest a plant at different times you can come out with different mm -hmm. you know kind of results um and even from a different I have a lot of juniper trees and cypress trees on my property um even just taking it from a different part of the property might produce different results so yeah it's really fascinating once you get going <laughs> and well, I asked that too just in the sense because I have I, I will admit I have been trying to grow my own herbs and I even failed at mint at one point where I killed my <laughs> mint and everybody is like, mint just grows everywhere. And I'm like, yeah. not in my house, it doesn't. <laughs> but um, I, I will say I've revived and my mint plant I, is, she's also doing, doing strong. So um, I'm getting yeah. a little better at it. But I asked that because I think gardening is hard. I don't know if yeah. I used to live in a tiny apartment and now I have a house with a yard and I've been really interested in trying, but I've killed a lot of plants in the process. And, um, you know, I've failed a lot of seeds and I think yes. that, you know, going through that failure has all been a learning process. And the last time I killed my mint, I, I learned what I did wrong and didn't do it again. Yeah. And, um, I, I think that's, that, that's the process. That's true. I mean, yeah, I failed. Um, I, I'm like you. I started out in a, an apartment and now I've got this. Well, it's an acre of land, but really there's only, you know, most of it is wild. Um, there's just, you know, well, it's still quite a large garden area. And yeah, do I know what I'm doing all the time? No, I, I mean, you learn as you go each year, each season tells you learn teaches you something different um and yeah I've had my share pair of failures and and dead plants and yeah you, it, it, it may be something that you did wrong and it may be something that you didn't do wrong um I mean you're at the mercy of the weather a lot of the time and here in Arizona that's difficult I mean last winter we went through a drought we didn't get any rain at all and the garden did not do well um this year in February, we had a huge snowstorm. We got 10 inches of snow, which is a lot for Sedona. Um, it might not be if you live on the East Coast, but this is Arizona. Um, we don't get snowed in with 10 inches of snow. 
Um, but it res it's resulted in a beautiful, beautiful spring. Um, the plants are just going crazy with all that moisture. Um, unfortunately, it brings out the weeds as well. But <laughs> um, you know, it's it just, bad. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, lo it looks all natural, um, and <laughs> I've still got to balance it. Um, you know, I've still got I'm still starting to water the garden, especially seedlings um, and seeds. They need watered every day. Um, you've got to be checking on them. It, you know, it's like little babies. <laughs> you've got to um, baby them along. Um, and, you know, and sometimes you can get them that far and then you might be at the mercy of insects or, you know. Those darn deer. I don't know how yes. much deer you see there, but we yeah. always, we, they're always grabbing at my apple tree and my yeah. cherry tree. <laughs> You've got to, yeah, do you like certain plants? Um, they think you put out um, a snack bar for them. <laughs> so deer, raccoons, you know, whatever's kind of running around in your area as well. So, so yeah, gardening is hard. Um, there's no easy way about it. Um, but, you know, it's very exciting seeing the plants come through when they do come through. And um, you, you really got to be passionate about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, to persevere. Do you do your whole garden yourself or do you have help or is this just a one woman job? <laughs> um, it's really a one woman job. I It's difficult because I have fibromyalgia so I kind of just take it as it goes um, one box at a time. I do have a very good neighbor. Um, she's retired and she, she helps me with trimming trees and, and tidying up sometimes. Um, because I can't do it all. And like I say, it, the weeds, they, they're just part of the, the garden sometimes. <laughs> um, and yeah, I've just learned that, you know, a garden is always a work in progress. Um, you know, you see those beautiful gardens that, you know, you go to places and parks and stuff. Mm -hmm. They have a huge team of gardeners behind oh, yeah. them. Um, yeah. to keep them going so I'm never going to achieve that unless I have my own team of gardeners <laughs> but it, it's just it's very healing just to have that space um, and yeah being able to just do whatever I'm going to do and you there's always something else you want to do so I was going to ask you about what you what you use in your garden I know you said you have weeds now but do you ever use anything to keep weeds away and what kind of what kind of things do you give your plants I assume you kind of go with a really natural um, yes. take on it so I was kind of getting your take and seeing what I can what I can do yeah for I tend to use the um one day I'd really like to make my own compost but I'm not quite at that stage yet um so I just get the really organic stuff um that I can find um you know the really best organic stuff um and kind of feed them um with compost, compost manure, I think it's called. Um, it's kind of organic stuff as well. Weeds are a problem because I there's no way I'm putting chemicals on them. Um, and I hand pull what I what I can in the boxes. That's probably the best way to get them out. Um, I have tried some natural um, remedies, but they haven't really worked. Um, so it, it's an on it's an ongoing process <laughs> of learning. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But like you say, I try and do everything organic. Um, and because you notice that with the bees as well. Um, I, I see lots of bees in my garden. And um, obviously, we've got to help maintain 
the bees so um i don't want to put anything non-natural and i have a little dog running around as well so right and yeah. you don't want to put uh, if you have a dog as well you don't want to put um you know stuff on there that's going to make them sick and the same with kids if people have kids um you just want to try and keep it as organic as possible you mentioned bees do you have you gotten into beekeeping or are these just the bees that hang out at your place because you've got such a a fun house to be at (laughs) i think we've got around in the neighborhood oh let's go over there she's got some good flowers (laughs) so yeah just the bees that kind of hang around um I, I am quite interested in bees. Um, one of our Naha writers, Amanda Plunkett, she's a beekeeper. And um, yeah, it, she's kind of stirring up my interest into beekeeping. And I think she did um, a webinar on it earlier this year for Naha, which was pretty interesting. Um, but that's kind of, kind of be, you, we think of the traditional beekeeping, which is quite a lot of work. Um, but what we do have here are mason bees. And I am learning uh, mason bees. It is possible to set up little houses um, for mason bees. And they don't produce honey, but they're very, very good pollinators for the garden. So in a couple of years' time, I'm, I'm hoping maybe I can set up something like that, um, you know, provide the little houses for them. Um, and then they come and, and work in my garden. Um, so we both get something out of it. <laughs> yeah, that is so nice. Yeah. It's a communal relationship that we really, all of us really share with the bees. They do so much yes. for us. So Yes. Yeah. And I have birds too. I mean, um, I also have, um, oh, what they're called, the hummingbird moths. They're, um, they're very unusual, um, but they, they're good for the garden as well. And I see them for buzzing around at, uh, at dusk around here as well. And of course the hummingbirds, we have hummingbirds here in Arizona. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, it's very busy <laughs> in my garden. <laughs> so so I gotta ask, since I, you know, I have my rosemary and I have my mint, what other herbs, um, if I wanna focus on a kind of an herb garden, just because I do mm-hmm. think that they might be a little simpler for me and smaller scaled, yeah. um, what, what other herbs should I really look to to start with that are that are forgiving, I guess, to um, a, a black thumb? <laughs> well, I, I mean, black thumb is kind of um, a, a wrong term. In a way. I mean, it all comes down to the, the soil. It's starting off with um, good dirt, um, you know, good organic soil. Um, rosemary and mint, um, Mint comes back every year, usually. <laughs> it comes back every year. And I haven't really had a problem with it. That's why I say you kind of have to contain it in its own pot or one box or else it, it does it does spread. Um, let's see what else is there. There's um, oregano um, you could try, um, thyme. Um, as well and there's different species um different species and different kinds of um thyme and um mint as well i mean there's peppermint spearmint um and if you have difficulty starting off with seed if you go to your local garden center or even one of these online suppliers um you can get the really the organic little kind of seedling plants to start off with which might be easier to start with than than the seeds um and as long as you get the organic ones um you 
and put them in the right um, material, the <laughs> right soil, um, you should be okay. They do like sun. Um, don't overwater them. They don't. Oh, they all get a bit waterlogged if you overwater them, and they don't. The um, they don't like it when it's really cold. So if you're going to get um, herbs to grow, I mean, you really kind of want to wait till it warms up um, a little bit um, for the seedlings. Um, yeah, and things like peppermint naturally die back. I, I don't know if that's what happened to yours. It, they naturally die back in the winter. You think they're dead and then they come back again. It, 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 maybe that's what happened to yours or you just... Um, it was about... <laughs> like two weeks after having it. So I was kind of skeptical oh. at first. I, I think um I didn't have it in a pot that drained the water very well. And right. um, it had a, I assume it was root rot, which got it. It got mm. it from the, the bottom of the stem was really brown and thin. And so right. I've, I've gone back to the, it was like kind of in an, an aesthetic looking pot. And I just decided to scrap all that and use clay pots yes. um, after reading a, plenty of gardening blogs <laughs> that, that was the best advice I took so everything yeah. is clay pots now but I'm happy with it because I my, I've got green plants in my house instead of brown ones so it's pretty exciting <laughs> and I will say it is so rewarding um yes. to see them to see them green and healthy and stuff and yeah. it has been and rewarding to like take care of something I mean I have dogs yeah. and I definitely take care of my husband but something else that <laughs> that definitely needs some a different kind of TLC. Yeah. Yeah. It it they do need drainage, yeah. So sometimes those pots um that you buy, they don't provide drainage. Um, you know, some of those nice looking pots really aren't ideal for for plants. Um but you mentioned clay pots. Sometimes I paint them, you know, paint my oh, own design yeah. on the outside. I um, should. I should let some of that creative energy flow to that. Yeah. So if you, you know, rather than just having it, you know, looking like a clay pot, although I do like the clay pots, but you can kind of add your own design. Um, yeah, but the clay pots are really growing on me. I'm, I'm turning my house yeah. into a really brownish orange aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what the plant is the center of the attention. So once it grows well, people are looking at the plant, not the, the pot. Exactly. Really. Exactly. I'm like, <laughs> look at the green part of it. Isn't this yeah. really nice? <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So you didn't mention earlier, like last year you didn't, you had a big drought and this year you got a bunch of snow. So the garden, mm -hmm. it, it's year to year, but um, I just wondered if you have noticed like any long-term effects from, I mean, climate change in your garden or any long-term effects with um, how your plants and things have adapted or changed or been harder to grow in certain times. Well, I've only had the garden, I think this will be about the fifth year now. So it, it's mm -hmm. it's hard to, um, you know, kind of say for definite, but certainly, yeah, it has its challenges, um, even, you know, aside from it being Arizona. And I live in northern Arizona. I, I'm at four and a half thousand feet. So it's not completely desert, but it's what they call high desert. Um, so it is get very dry in the summer until we get what we call the monsoon season, the rains um, kind of in July and August. Um, but even that can, has been a bit patchy in recent years. So, yeah, it, it is a challenge. Um, and even from one side of the garden to the other, what they call um, little microclimates within your garden, um, you move a plant around, it may have been doing perfectly okay over one side, you put it over the other side and it doesn't like that 
particular place oh, so wow. it doesn't do it or the soil's different um if you have it in the ground or yeah just it gets the wind differently or the rain differently or the sun the angle of the sun or whatever um but certainly yeah i i think um you know i'd have to record it in the long time to know whether climate change was a, a factor in it but it, it's certainly something we have to be uh, aware of um when growing our plants um because it, it it's a challenge enough um as well um with all of that i mean with the snow it it, it the challenge was it's broken branches off um trees as well um mm -hmm. which is pretty unusual here but it did quite a lot of storm damage so um so yeah it's certainly something to bear bear in mind so I think lastly, and I, I know we're, we're running out of time here, but lastly, I wanted to kind of ask you about your retreats personally um, and also for, for listeners who, who want to know more about what you do when we go to Sedona. Right. Um, I have I hold a couple of retreats and workshops a year, and I kind of built it around my garden. I have my um, garden studio where I work from, from Blent with blending and everything. Um, and I converted my old um, garage into my um, still room slash potting shed now. And it's got space to um, have workshops in. I keep, I do very small workshops. It's usually between one and four ladies that I, I do it for. Um, and the retreats, we, um, as I say, we do a demonstration of, of the still. Um, I do emphasize that it's, it's not you know, um, technical class on learning how to distill, but just we kind of do it all together. And so hopefully you learn more about the process. Um, we do some of the infused oils that I mentioned, and we do some custom blending and we look at different oils and then we look at um, plants in the garden, um, for example, the mints and kind of, you know, distinguish between the two and, and just really getting some hands-on experience with plants and relating them to the essential oils and therapeutic properties and how we use them in aromatherapy i'm kind of just bringing people back um you know connecting herbalism and aromatherapy um how it used to be before they kind of split off um somewhere back in time and and making you know that connection again because um i think it's very important that we understand the plants as well as you know all the the chemical properties of the oil and all the all the technical stuff um that that is important but also that uh, connecting with the plant and getting to know the plant as you know from um caring for the plants and mm -hmm. um you know how what all that work that goes into that just to produce that little bit of oil or um healing waters um that that we use so yeah i kind of cover all that um my workshops are usually um about two days um and i also do custom workshops now so if anybody's got um just themselves or, or a group of um three or four friends that want to come and do something along those lines i i, I can do that as well um i try and keep it small simply because um you know i don't want to overwhelm myself and the mm -hmm. property and um i just think it's a better learning environment um to come and do that in it's something a little bit more unique than sitting in the in the classroom so, oh yeah um, 
It sounds like a dream retreat. I need to get like a yeah. group of friends yes. to do a little to do oh, a little yeah. visit and tour and stuff. Yeah. And if you want to go to um, one of Sharon's retreats, you can find it at SedonaAromatics.com. You can uh, search her website and see kind of what she has to offer and all of all of the things she does. Um, and you can also find her on Instagram. And like I mentioned earlier, she's a photographer and some of her Instagram shots of her garden are absolutely beautiful. And we can't forget her Instagram shots of her little puppy mm -hmm. um, are so fun to look at. So, so check her out. It's at Sedona aromatics as well. And Instagram. Yes, yeah. that's correct. Yeah. Um, and anything else you want to plug Sharon? anything else you want to mention that um, you're up to or anything you've got going on coming up? I know you're, she is the editor of our Naha journal. So you, you can always um, for members, you can always access any of the journals and for non-members, you can find them on our web store. Um, but you know, she does such a good job and finding stories and, and presenting them and um, uh, the whole team with Naha, including myself, I won't, I'll go ahead and plug me in there. We, we yes. really do uh, try to go above and beyond for our members in that respect. But uh, with the conference and stuff, Sharon also helps us edit the conference booklets. And um, she is your liaison for directors as well as the regional director in Arizona. So if you're near her and want to connect and talk mm -hmm. aromatherapy, essential oils or gardening, um, you guys should give her a shout. And where else can they find you, Sharon? Anywhere else? Um, well, I authored my book, Authentic Aromatherapy. Um, that's kind of like a beginner's guide to aromatherapy for anybody that hasn't um, got that. Um, I do have a Facebook group. Um, so if you search for Sedona Aromatics um, School and Garden, um, you'll find me on there. And then um, just ask to connect and uh, will approve you and, and I post um, uh, similar stuff as Instagram but sometimes we have different things on there links and you know all garden aromatic stuff related on there I think that's about it um, yeah I'm my email is Sharon at sedonaaromatics.com but if you visit the website you'll see all sorts of things on there um, I am open to, as I say, custom workshops um, and I do custom consultations and things. So basically just drop me a line and uh, um, along those lines and I'll, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> that sounds so good. Um, and if you do guys want to get in touch with Naha, you can reach us at Naha.org. Um, you can also find us on Facebook at Aromatherapy Community or on Instagram at Beyond Aromatics. I will also plug our 2020 conference um, October 14th through the 17th post-conference on the 18th. We will have um, registration opening soon. So mark your calendars probably sometime in May. Um, but if you're a member or have subscribed to our email list, you'll definitely get a shout when that's around. But also follow us on Facebook and Instagram um, if you want to stay up to date with everything going on in um, our aromatherapy community. So thanks everybody for listening and we'll try to be back next time from drum roll Egypt with Ragda Maxud. Super wow. excited. So yeah. So um, maybe live for me. Well, live as in live for podcast from Egypt. So, <laughs> so join us next time guys. And thank you so much to Sharon for, for being thank out you. here and taking her time to, to talk to me today and teach me a little bit and you guys a little bit about um, her garden. <laughs>